Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible study, uh, Acts chapter 5, Acts part 5, Acts chapter 5. Uh, we've been studying the book of Acts the last four weeks, and we are in chapter 5. What's been going on up to now, as you kind of remember, uh, you have the disciples all waiting together as Jesus ascends uh, back to heaven, tells them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit comes Acts chapter 2. They begin to speak in different tongues, in a known language. Uh, and then you have Peter giving the first sermon to the church, explaining what had just happened. And then after that, you have uh, Peter and John going up into the temple, Acts chapter 3. Uh, they're going up into the temple and they see a man who's been lame uh, his entire life for 40 years. Uh, begging for alms, and they look at him and say, well, we don't have silver and gold, but what we give to you, we give to you the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the Nazarene walk. And they do a miracle there. And uh, the miracle now leads to the Sanhedrin, to the uh, actually to the high priest, and some of the ruling council now coming against them, questioning them what was going on and under whose authority are you doing this? Rather than marveling and praising God at a miracle, they want to, they're trying to analyze who, who, who did this and what happened. And, you know, they, uh, um, just weren't willing to accept what God was doing. Then last week we talked about in chapter four, uh, that right after this, Peter and John are put into, um, jail, into custody, and they're told not to be preaching in the name of, uh, Jesus anymore. Now, here you, here you have a guy who's been lame for 40 years. He gets healed. And uh, he, he, gets, he gets completely healed. And he's walking in the temple. Everybody's praising God. And now here the high priest call Peter and John in, put him in, put him in, in lockup, and, and, and tell him, you know, don't you be doing that anymore. Don't be preaching in Jesus. You would think that the high priest, you would think that the ruling class, you would think that the priesthood would marvel at this and, and say, well, this is some, this is from God. But they were more concerned about their own position and their own status to see what God was doing. And unfortunately, that's a commentary on what goes on today. Sometimes people are too wrapped up in what they're doing to see what God is doing. So that brings us to... Acts chapter 5, which is a very interesting chapter we're going to read through here. Um, and it starts off with something that's very, very interesting. So I hope you have your Bibles out. And let's just uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to go into your word this evening. We thank you for those that are listening via podcast, Lord. We just thank you that uh, you minister to all of us, Lord, and give us more than just um, knowledge, but you give us application personally and corporately as a body of Christ. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time, and we just thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this is basically talking about the life that the early church is leading. They're having all things in common, and as, as anyone would have need, some of the people would sell their possessions and distribute uh uh, the wealth around the, the people. It didn't mean everybody was doing this, is it, but if anyone had need, there, this was happening, and people were voluntarily doing this. So this brings us to Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. 
But a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, which they were doing, the others were doing that. Verse 2, and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So here they are wanting to be seen as what everybody else is doing, or what others are doing, but they don't do what everyone else is doing. They're holding back, and they actually lie. It's actually a conspiracy. You know, if you do it yourself, it's just a lie. If someone helps you, now it's a conspiracy. And so the two of them, as it says, with his wife's full knowledge, they brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? A couple things there. Peter calls out Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart? Notice where sin comes from. Satan has Satan filled your heart to lie. Notice he doesn't say to lie to us. He says to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now this is like going back to David when David was convicted by Nathan. And David said, I have, I have sinned against God. Because at that time, that's all they knew. They knew God the Father. They did not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Jesus wasn't around at that time. But Acts chapter 2, when the, how the Holy Spirit is here and fills the believer, we, it's the Holy Spirit now that uh, you lie to. Because this is how God is being, uh, is, is moving and working in this present age, is through the Holy Spirit. It says, how Satan fills your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now notice, this is part of our understanding of a triune God. He says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And now he says, but you've lied to God. Same thing. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus same thing. And this is important for the conversation that we're going to have in this, because we're going to see a triune God at work here. You already have uh, um, two elements of of, the, of, a triune, of a triune God, three-part God here at work, Holy Spirit and to God the Father. But also notice in verse 4, it says, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You know, again, uh, it's it's a heart issue. Sin is a heart issue. You know, people become passionate about something, so they lie, they steal, they cheat. It's in their heart to do that. And this is why we are a work of heart. And that's why I've, I've done a sermon a couple of times called A Work of Heart. I've even done a Bible study and talk about it. God is looking at our heart for change because it's in our heart where we conceive evil, but it's also in our heart where we conceive love. So, he says, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Now, notice, this is the church we're talking about. We're not talking about a secular a secular organization. We're not talking about a worldly thing. We're talking about the church. So, he says, you know, you're, you're not lying to us. You're lying to God. Because who do we represent? Who is our head? Uh, you know, it is God. So, verse 5. It says, and as he heard these words... Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and a great fear 
came upon all who heard of it. Now, right there, he's judged and he dies. But it raises a question because we are told later on, and, and, and Paul tells us later on, uh, that, uh, and even Jesus talks about this, is that who is the judge? Who's our judge? Jesus Christ. But here you have the Holy Spirit, and then you have God, and you have judgment. So sometimes people think that, oh, judgment will only come when Jesus comes back. But they forget that Jesus is already here in the form of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about a triune God. So judgment can actually come at any time. You don't have to wait at the end of the age when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead. This man was judged right here for what he did. Now watch this, verse 6. And the young men rose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Uh, now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to test? Notice, the Spirit of the Lord to test, the Holy Spirit. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Yeah, this is judgment on sin. And sometimes, again, we think that we can get away with whatever uh, because, well, Jesus hasn't come back yet, you know, and yada, yada, yada. Here is judgment. We don't have Jesus coming back, but Jesus is here because we talk about it. You know, a young person, when they, when they, when they get saved, they talk about, well, Jesus is in my heart. Well, we know Jesus isn't technically in your heart, but it's the Holy Spirit that fills you. But what you have is the Holy Spirit filling you. So now you have the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus the Son. And so this is why judgment can come at any time. And I think sometimes the church plays uh, loose and fast with this. They don't really under, understand this because verse 11 says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is, you know, we're not playing here. This is this is very serious. And this is, uh, on one hand, you have signs and wonders going on. And we're going to talk about a few, uh, in a, a few more in a second. You just have this lame man healed, and you have this, you know, all people are coming together, and all these things are going on, and everybody's feeling this, and then all of a sudden two people come in, conspire to lie to God and boom they are judged and they they die right on the spot that kind of changes things a little bit okay so now we have verse 12 to 16 and then it says and at the hands of the apostles in other words the work that's what it means at the work of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico they were still in the temple that's Solomon's portico is. They were still in the temple because remember, churches were not established. There was only 
one church at this point. It was in Jerusalem, and they were meeting basically from house to house because Christianity is not an official religion. It's basically a renegade religion, and at this point, Rome is just kind of hoping it'll go away. Probably the uh, Jewish establishment is hoping it's going to just go away. But there in the place where they were before Jesus came, they were there when they're back where they were when Jesus was ministering back in the temple because the temple has yet to be destroyed. This is around the year 35. The temple will be destroyed in the year 70 AD. So up until then, they're still going into the temple because again, you cannot buy and sell land as a, as a Christian organization. Uh, so they don't have churches per se. They're meeting in homes. Uh, verse 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them, however, and people held them in high esteem. So notice, some didn't want to hang with them and others held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitude of men and women were constantly added to their number. So even in the, in the face of the fact that judgment came to someone, uh, that did not stop people from get gravitating towards God. That did not put a damper on any of that. Verse 15. To such an extent that even, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. So that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Uh, remember, at this time in the in history, a good twenty-five to thirty percent of the population is very ill. You don't have modern medicine by any stretch of the imagination, and so people had a lot of ailments. They had a lot of things that just couldn't get healed. But about 25 to 30 percent of the people were very, very ill. Ill, and so here signs and wonders are going on, and people are are, are being healed. This is an extension of Jesus's ministry. This, this is the same thing that uh, uh, he did. Remember. He says, greater works shall you do in my name. That doesn't mean better works. He says, greater works, meaning that Jesus is going to, to uh, his ministry was just in a small part of the world. The church's ministry will be global eventually. So greater works shall we do. Greater things shall we do. So these signs and wonders are there uh, to get people's attention and to... Uh, also signify that these men are doing the same ministry that Jesus did. So we have any thoughts or questions on any of that up to now? We good. It's pretty much straightforward, but it is the early church. It's the history of our church. It's like the first year of the church. Uh, and, this, and these are the things that were going on. So now you have verse uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 17 to 28. But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And now here we get some of their motivation. You know, I think I said on Sunday in Sunday's sermon, uh, always look to see what a person's motivation is. Because if you can find a person's motivation, or sometimes we say where they're coming from, if you can understand their motivation, 
now you know how to handle them or talk to them or deal with them because you understand what motivates them. So now here what you have is, is these, these, uh, um, the high priest and his associates, uh, the Sadducees, the, the priestly unit that were in charge of the temple, they were filled with jealousy. Because here you have Peter and John and the others, uh, signs and wonders and things were happening, and they were jealous because it wasn't happening to them. So you would think that they would, you know, want to now now associate with them, find out how do you do this, what is going on, uh, what did we miss? But you see, there's a lot of pride here because these are the same people that were in agreement with putting Jesus on the cross, and now they have to backtrack and admit they were wrong to accept what's going on as miracles from God. But their motivation here is they are jealous. Verse 18, And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Again, threw them in jail for doing what? Signs and wonders and miracles. Displaying the power of God. Uh, I'll chase a rabbit here real quick. The world doesn't understand God. Uh, the world can't understand God. And so putting them in jail here, you know, is kind of like, you know, the world not understanding that, you know, you can throw so-and-so in Christian in jail. You can do this or that. But it is not going to stop what God is doing. It will not stop what God is, 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 is doing in the world. Verse 19. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go your way. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Now, this is interesting here. They're jailed, and an angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night, releases them. And this is very interesting what he says. He says, Go your way. Stand and speak to the people. Where? In the temple. He doesn't say go to the streets. He says, Go to the religious community. Go to those people that know or supposed to know God. Go to the people that have the scriptures. Go to the people that study the scriptures. Go to them. So, you know, this is very interesting. And then he says uh, to the temple, and speak the whole message of this life. You know, in life there is capitalized as in deity. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So give the whole message of this life. In other words, the gospel. Uh, give them this message. Go right back uh, to what you were doing. Go back in the temple. Go to those that are, 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 are going to oppose you the most. Go preach to them. Verse 21. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and begin to teach. You notice that they didn't wait. They didn't say, well, we'll do it next week. We'll do it the next day. But at daybreak, they were there. They were in the temple, and they began to uh, teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel. This is the ruling class, Sanhedrin, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guard standing at the door. But when we opened up, we found no one inside. 
Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would become of this. These guys are doing signs and wonders. The chief priests are opposing them. Uh, you know, they lock them up, and here they are out of jail again and uh, preaching the word of God. And now they're greatly perplexed about what's going to become of this. You know, they've got a decision to make. You know, just like the world does, or someone that doesn't know Christ, are you going to continue to live as you live? Or are you going to admit that you're wrong? Are you going to admit that there's a better way, that there is a right way, and that way is through Jesus? Uh, they have that choice to make. Uh, let's see. Verse 25. But someone came and reported to them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Now, there's an exclamation point there. This, you know, this guy had to have come. He says, you know, paraphrasing this, you're not going to believe what I just saw. You're not going to believe what's going on. These guys that were supposed to be locked up, they're they're not only free, they're in the temple preaching again. You're not going to believe this. You know, this is what's going on here. 26, then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. Now, see, what you have here is the lay people are gravitating towards uh, what's going on. They're seeing it. It's the leaders that are hindering it. And leaders always hinder things like this because they're the ones in their own mind that have the most to lose. Their position, their status, their whatever it is. So they always oppose these kind of things. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. Interesting. Look at this again. Signs and wonders, all these things going on. They're freed in the middle of, of the night. The gate's st still locked up. They're out there preaching, brings them back. And, and what does he say to them? We gave you strict orders about teaching in his name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. A couple of things there. This is a historical account. You know, this man's blood upon us. This is this is a recognition that Jesus was on the cross. The high priest is saying, this man's blood, you're trying to put it on us. And Peter and John have already been preaching to them, because remember what he says to them. He says to them, you are the ones that put him on the cross. You're the ones that did this. And now they're saying, you know, you're, you're doing all this teaching, and basically what they're saying is you're making us look bad. Well, they made themselves look bad by not following the scriptures that they were supposed to be teachers of. Uh, think about that for a second. You know, your teachers are supposed to tell you the right way. And here's a teacher not even knowing what is the right way, not following uh, anything. And the outcome here, 29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. And I hope that's highlighted in your Bible. 
But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. You know, um, there's a lot of things going on in the world and the world wants us to do X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day, uh, when the rubber meets the road, as they said, you know, our obedience is to God. You know, we are called to obey the laws of the land and things like that. But what they're talking about here is uh, whether they can preach Jesus or not. And they're saying, you know, we must obey God rather than men. We're, in other words, we're going to continue to preach Jesus. But we're not going to stop. And I think this is where the church has suffered over the years because we stopped preaching Jesus. We stopped gospelizing We've, we've, we've been more about the last 20, 30 years, uh, 40 years, we've been on this, this gospel of self, of we can get this, and we can have power, and we can do this, and God will give you this, and you can have your best, and all of this. That's not the gospel. You know, and, and that's what we're supposed to be preaching. And it says, we must obey God rather than men. We need to be preaching, uh, 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 Christ. And now these next three verses are loaded with stuff here. Look at this. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. So in other words, verse 28, it says you're trying to bring this man's blood on us. And here in verse 30, he says, yeah, you you did it. Right? This is preaching in your face. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. Bless you. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as savior. This is doctrine statement. He is our savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now remember, it's to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. And so he's saying to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now what you have here are three main things in Christianity. Repentance, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. Because when you preach the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit that changes a person's heart uh, to where they will now repent of their sins. It is the Holy Spirit uh, that forgives them. It is the Holy Spirit that guides them through that. And so, again, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a tree. The God of our fathers. You know, he's talking about Scripture here. He's talking about all of Scripture. Uh, The God of our fathers. Everything that you've lived by. Everything that we live by. You know, this temple represents the word of God. This temple represents what God is doing. This temple represents who God is. The God of our fathers. This is why they were in the temple preaching. You know, they, they, they weren't preaching in the alleyways and, 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 and trying to cover this up. They were out in public. 31. It's the, he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and as savior to grant repentance. Repentance comes through Jesus Christ via the conviction of the Holy Spirit given by God the Father. This is a triune God at work right there. 
See, you don't have the word Trinity in your Bible, but you have evidence for Trinity, triune God, all over the Bible. You just have to look at it and, and, and see it at work. To grant repentance and forgiveness of sins. The only one that can forgive you your sins is, is, is God. You know, he's, he, and he's saying it real, you know, he's saying to them, it's not going to be about your sacrificing doves anymore. It's not going to be about you doing good things and right things anymore. It's not about you acting like you're holier than, than someone else. It's not about the money that you give in the temple. It's not about any of those things. It's, it's, it's through Jesus Christ, uh, that repentance and forgiveness comes. And it says, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Again, keeps bringing the Holy Spirit in there in the first person. You know, the Holy Spirit is there, right there. And again, the church forgets this. This is why, and I'm, and I'm not trying to, to, to cause an argument here, but when we say things like, or sing things like, Oh, come Holy Spirit, we forget the fact the Holy Spirit has already come. The Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit is indwelling. It's not like we are summonsing God. God is already here. And we have to understand that. See, this is, this is theology. This is, this is, this is our understanding of who God is. Uh, Emmanuel, God is with us. He's with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. This doesn't mean those that do right things. It means who obey God in salvation through Jesus Christ, who's given, who now has the right to give us repentance and forgiveness. This is what he's saying here. This is how you obey God, whom God has given to those who obey him. So once we obey God <clears throat> by acknowledging our sins, through our repentance of our sins, turning away from our sins, uh, believing in our heart that God so loved us, he sent his only begotten son to die for us, and then we confess that, that's obedience to God. That's what God wants us to do. That's obedience right there. And the result of that is, now you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God is now on the inside of us. That's why when we say, oh, come Holy Spirit, no, Holy Spirit is already here. You know, you might want to say, you know, uh, Holy Spirit, come to those that do not know you. That's a little bit different. But as far as a believer goes, Holy Spirit's already here. The presence is here. That's why uh, um, I told a young man one time when uh, counseling him uh, uh, about he was smoking marijuana, teenager, and uh, his parents wanted me to speak to him. And uh, I knew this young man, knew he was a good kid, knew that he was saved, and so I just asked him. I said, are you saved? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how, how do you know you're saved? And he said, well, because I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. And you know, he knew all that. And I said, so, so where is God now? And he says, God is now on the inside of me. And I said, okay. And then I said, you told me earlier that, that going to go smoke marijuana was no big deal. And he says, right, it's no big deal. And so then I said, so when you go to smoke that marijuana, who are you taking with you? And right then, all of a sudden, he just stopped. And he just realized what I was saying to him. 
is the fact that it's not just him going to go do something. Now, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is there with you, going, doing whatever it is. And I heard back from this young man a long, long, uh, many years after this. This was, this was, I don't know, um, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I heard that he still remembers that, that conversation. And, uh, he, he says that, he said that conversation changed, uh, his direction, uh, in how, how he saw things. And I think this is what we have to preach in the church is that once we are saved, Christ is with us. And so now if you know that Christ is with you, uh, uh, you act and do things differently. It's just like when you're teenagers. You know, mom and dad are in the car. You act a particular way. But when you're with your buddies and your girlfriends and mom and dad aren't there, you act a different way. But if mom and dad are there to pull the string, uh, you act differently. Well, we have to remember uh, it's not mom and dad anymore. It's Jesus Christ. And that should be what uh, uh, motivates us to do good because Christ is with us in dwelling God. Thoughts, questions on any of that? We good? Okay. Um, verse 33. An interesting fellow shows up here. Verse 33, Acts chapter 5. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. In other words, they got mad. He preached right and got up on their toes, got right up in their face and preached to them. And they they wanted to hit him. They, they, they wanted to get at him. That's how mad they were. But a certain Pharisee, now a Pharisee wasn't part of the San, Sadducees who operated the temple. They were more of a religious group, but they were part of the Sanhedrin. They were should be devout men. There was a certain uh, certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people. This, by the way, this man we find out later on was Paul's teacher. He was a very renowned teacher of, um, of, of Scripture. And this was Paul's teacher, his mentor. It says here, but a certain Pharisee named uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. In other words, he saw what they were angry. He saw that they were going to do something. And now this wise teacher stands up and says, no, wait a minute, you guys need to think about what you're going to do here. Okay. Verse 36. For some time ago, uh, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. And a group of about 400 men joined up with him. And he was slain and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this, this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. Here's the man's wisdom right here, verse 39. 
But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Wow. This is huge. You know, he says, he says, other people have risen up and claimed to be this and that, and look what happened to them. It all turned out to be nothing. But this particular Pharisee, uh, Gamaliel, he is beginning to have a sense that something is going on here that might be bigger than what they thought. And so he's now saying to them, okay, you need to maybe let these guys alone because don't forget, you know, a lame man was healed, signs and wonders, things are going on. They're teaching in the temple. Uh, a lot of people are now following them. Uh, if it's not of God, basically what he's saying, he said it will fall to the ground. But if it is God and you continue to oppose them, now you're going to be fighting against God. And this is what happens in the world. The world that does not know God is fighting against God. It's rebelling against God. It's rebelling against God's authority. But does that mean we stop preaching the gospel? No. That means we get out there and preach the gospel even harder and realize, you know, it's going to anger them. Uh, uh, but would you rather uh, them get mad at you or would you rather them go to hell? Because this is what we're talking about here. It's life or death. Uh, so this wise Pharisee gets up and says something that's, 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 that's very profound, very, you know, and I think we need to look at this today. You know, if it's of God, it's going to stand on its own legs. If it's of God, uh, uh, the world can't knock it down. But if it's not God, it's going to pass away. That's like a lot of movements. Let me chase this rabbit in the church. There's been a lot of movements in the church that have been around individuals. But as soon as that individual passes away, that movement stops. The movement of the church is around Jesus Christ. It's around God. It's around the Holy Spirit, which does not stop and continues to this day and is now spread to, you know, around the world and has had such a dramatic impact because it is of God. And, you know, we've had our highs and our lows where we follow God and we don't follow God or we don't preach the gospel enough. And so, you know, we have highs and lows with God. But the point here is that this is a move of God and, and, it, and it has not been stopped. And so with whatever's going on in the world today, if you think you can stop God, you're wrong. You cannot stop God because God is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he does not change. He's the same forevermore. Acts chapter 5 closes with this. Verse 40. And they took his advice. People, they took his advice. And now you think, okay, well, this is going to have a happy ending. It says, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. So it's like they said, okay, we, we get what you're saying. We're going to do that. But then they beat them anyway. You know, it's, 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 it's like they just could not uh, uh, take their hands off the situation. They had to force the issue, you know. And so they flogged them and then they released them. Verse 41, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoining that 
rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Notice they were rejoicing that this happened to them. Because when you're flogged by the ruling class, when you're flogged by the council, that's shame. That's that's something that uh, you don't do not want to have happen. You know, that's like having an arrest record, a rap sheet. You know, you don't want that. You know, uh, those kind of things. But here, you know, it's 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 like they were rejoicing uh, in all of this because they knew God was doing something. They saw God. They felt His presence. They seen God move on their behalf and around them. And uh, verse 42, and it says, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So every day in the temple, where the ruling class was, and from house to house, this is where the church was meeting, from house to house. So now they were encouraging the believers, you know, from house to house. Uh, and except they did what they did what they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. In other words, they kept right on preaching the gospel. This is our DNA as the church. This is our spiritual DNA, and you know we cannot and should not deny our DNA. This is who we are. You know this is this is who we we. Uh, this is what we sprung forth from. Uh, we are to preach the Gospels. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are not to be preaching the Gospel of self, but we should be teaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ as King, as Lord, and of Savior. That's our spiritual DNA. So, any thoughts, questions on that? It's pretty straightforward. You know, it's just... It's just narrative, and it's but it's pretty straightforward, and it shows the resolve of the apostles. And uh, uh, but again, this is this is the beginning of the church. This is how the church uh, grew. And so, when we don't do these things, when we take a back seat to what the world is doing, when we start becoming afraid to preach the gospel, or we don't preach the gospel, uh, we don't train people to preach the gospel. Uh, uh, we're not doing what we are called to do. And so what happens after this, uh, next week we'll pick it up in chapter 6, maybe get into chapter 7 a bit here. But what happens now is the church is growing, and so now the church has to begin to put structure together. And so next week you're going to find out about deacons, where deacons come from. And uh, uh, then we're going to get into Stephen. Uh, And then we're going to Paul... Uh, as he's known as Saul, is going to come on to the scene. But realize from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 8 is a period of two years. So uh, um, slow growth in here. Uh, right now, Peter and John are kind of the main apostles. But starting in about Acts chapter 9, and especially when you get to Acts chapter 12, 13, uh, Paul takes over as the leading, as the leader of the church. And we'll be getting into his story but we'll also be getting into church structure why do we have deacons you'll find out next week you can read ahead if you don't already know um and just a little teaser that stephen in chapter seven uh preaches to the council the ruling council and they begin to stone him 
And it says that he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now here's my question. Scripture tells us Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. What made Jesus stand up? See you next week. (laughs) God bless. Hope you have a good week. If you have any thoughts, questions, don't forget you can email us. Don't forget on Sunday online service, uh, 10 a.m. Make sure you uh, log in, share it, click like, uh, let people know uh, about that. We're getting a lot of uh, good results from our online broadcast. So hopefully in a few weeks we'll be able to get back into the uh, church. And don't forget on Wednesday nights I'm, I'm here doing Bible study, but you can come. We can social distance here. There's not that many of us that we have to be worried about uh, breaking any laws or rules. And if you feel comfortable enough, you can come down to uh, the church and we'll be in the uh, choir room, Bible study room, uh, doing Bible study. Uh, Either way, uh, the podcast will uh, go on. You just won't get it live. You'll get it at about 8 o'clock on on Wednesday instead of 7 o'clock. So let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again for this time to study, Lord. We just thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your protection, for watching over us and guiding us, Lord. And we just uh, pray for those, Lord, that uh, are in the hospital, Lord, those that are going through a hard time right now, those that have things going on in their body, Lord. Uh, We just ask, Lord, that you show yourself strong on their behalf, Lord, and that you would... Uh, heal them, Lord, from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, Lord, and that you would watch over the rest of us, Lord, and protect us from anything that is not of you. And in this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Church said, Amen. Amen. See you next week. God bless.